Good evening, everyone. It's great to be here. And again, not knowing uh, what your day was, but we know the one that is the creator of your day and he knows all things. So just want to take an opportunity to just push everything away and just begin to reflect on the Lord our God. And in doing so, we begin by just meditating on the fact that he is the Lord. He is the Lord our God. I want you to begin to see his magnificence, his wonder, his splendor. Beautiful is he and beautiful is the works of his hand. Begin to see the excellence of all that he does because he is absolutely perfect and he is absolutely wonderful. He is the one that has told us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Begin to see the cares and the concerns Slip away as you come into his magnificent presence. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to acknowledge that you are the Lord our God, to declare your goodness to the heavens, the earth, the stars, and the moon, to stand in awe of you because you and you alone are the Lord our God. You are the one that took the things that was unseen and you made them seen. You made them visible. We stand in awe that you spoke a word. You said, let it be. And it still exists today. You are the one Lord God that set the sand as the boundary to the ocean. And not one drop of water will cross over that boundary without your knowing it, without your permission. You are the one that knows the very depths of the ocean. No man has discovered it. No man has been to the depth, but you have have, Lord God. Even the greatest submarine of all submarines can't go, but you are there and beyond. If we were to go to the bliss, you are beyond. If we were to go into, Lord God, the, the very depths of everything, you are beyond that. If we could make our way to the end of the universe, you are beyond the universe because everything was created by you. You are not constrained by time or space because it's all in you. You are the creator of every single thing and you even took time out to create us. You are a God that knows us intimately. You know the very number of hairs on our head, but yet you command the ocean, you command the skies, you command the weather, you command everything, but yet you are never too busy and too preoccupied to have time for us. Your word says that in order for us to know how often you think about us, we would have to be able to count the grains of sand. Lord, when I think about the beaches that I see and I'm familiar with, you're not just talking about those beaches that are in uh, Florida that I am exposed to. You're saying all of the sand, all of the sand, we would have to be able to count it. You are always intentionally and we are on your mind and we thank you, Lord God. Oh, blessed be your name. So we come simply to exalt simply to lift you up and declare you are God and you are God alone. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God, for you are the one that is the one that was and is to come. You are the ancient of day. You are the 
Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. But most importantly, you are our Father, our Lord, our God, our Master, and our King. You are the very essence of our being and the one that we look to because we look to you, the mountain, for help in the time of trouble because you provide all the help, all of the comfort, and all the assurance that we need. We are absolutely nothing without you, but you do all things. And so therefore, in you, we can do all things. We invite you to come on tonight in this Bible study. You, Holy Spirit, lead God and direct us. May we receive the revelation, the wisdom, and the knowledge that you desire for us to have as you open our eyes so that we can see you like never before, hear you like never before, and our hearts be expanded in praise, in worship, and rejoicing for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has chosen us and you declare that we are yours and you are ours. We thank you, Lord God, in advance. And we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Sylvia. Wow. It is so wonderful just to hear all of the wonderful things about our Lord, you know, just as Pastor Sylvia is praying and reminding us, you know, how great our God is. He is so great and he is worthy of our praise and he longs for our praise. He longs for this intimate relationship. And, you know, it's through this praise, it's through our truly setting our hearts on him that we begin to love him with all of our hearts, you know, that we begin to fall in line with the greatest commandment to love him with everything that we are, our heart, our soul, and our mind. And so I just want to continue to encourage each of us to just stay in that place as often as possible, just reflecting on how awesome he is, regardless of our circumstances, he is faithful. And I know so many of you have your testimonies that you can share the times where God has shown up for you time and time again. And I love that here we are in the Old Testament and there's so much of what we see how the Israelites um, were constantly doing things, setting up stones to remember. They were doing things that would cause future generations even to remember and to acknowledge and not forget, you know, what God has done for them. And so we see so much by that and learn so much from the examples of Israel. And that's um, really, I believe, what the Holy Spirit uh, is giving to us as we're walking through um, some of these books. But the book of Joshua it covers the life of Joshua from the time he was about 80 years old um, until he was about 110 years old. And, you know, Moses's leadership, it was covered in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the difference between uh, Moses um, and Joshua is that Moses was the lawgiver and he was a leader. But the period of law giving, it has already been completed when we get to this book of Joshua. You know, Moses had led Israel out of Egypt, and now Joshua would lead them into the promised land. And so that's where we're at. And in Joshua chapter one, we see some instructions and I'm going to share some uh, slides on the screen so we, you can follow along in the scriptures. So in Joshua chapter one, He's um, given some instructions to ensure that he will prosper and have success. And so the verse says, you know, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it night and day 
that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And I want to point out that the word prosper has been misunderstood um, in Christian culture oftentimes. Um, it doesn't mean uh, wealthy. You know, and those claiming that the Bible promises financial rewards are truly mistaken. It means that Joshua will achieve what he sets out to achieve in the name of God. And these words were given to Joshua, you know, to to encourage him, but they weren't only intended to in, encourage Josh, Joshua alone. God knew that his leadership was going to affect the morale of the Israelite people. And so he wasn't just leading, you know, a group of people armed for battle who needed good pep talks. He was leading the people of God. And so their standards of morality, what we see in this scripture, their standards of morality would affect their success in battle. And Joshua, as their leader, was to set an example for Israel. We read uh, the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua. And Rahab, she was so convinced that God would give the land of Israel to Israel that she just decided to join them. And that's essentially what we see in the story. You know, the New Testament even commends this amazing display of faith by Rahab. You know, and Rahab is actually included in the great heroes of faith that are mentioned in the book of Hebrews. And here's the scripture on the screen for you. It's, it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So the means of her escape, it was similar actually, to how the Jews escaped with their lives when the angel of death came to Egypt. Do you remember the Passover? You know, they had to paint the blood over the door, uh, door frames of their homes. And here, Rahab was told to hang a scarlet thread out the window so she and her family would be spared the destruction that was going to come on the city of Jericho. So it was as if, you know, she was marking her window with blood so that death wouldn't touch her home. And I just think, isn't that interesting? You know, the parallel that we see here in this story. And I wanted to be sure to point that out. But not only was Rahab commended for her faith, you know, in, in the scripture we just read, but also in Matthew's gospel. And so it also records how this prostitute is included, included in the royal lineage, which reaches to Jesus himself. And so look at Matthew chapter one, it's up on the screen. Uh, it's verse five and six. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So this is given a genealogy, but here, here's what we see. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So here we see, you know, right in verse five, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Amazing. And then Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So all the way down the line, we see that Rahab, who isn't just a prostitute, she's also a Gentile. She's not even a Jew. And she gets grafted in before Jesus came into the lineage of his birth. And so there's another mention of Rahab in the book of James. And I'm reading the scripture from the New Living Translation. James said, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. 
So just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And so that scripture, it's truly important for us on a number of levels, you know, pointing out to us again, the acknowledgement of Rahab being one of the mothers of faith, you know, we know Abraham's the father of faith, but she's mentioned in the same way that it was by her faith that she was grafted in. And so, but we also see here that James is mentioning through the example of Rahab that faith is dead without good works. You know, she could have, you know, had given lip service and meant well, but not followed through and it wouldn't have been the same same story. It would have meant nothing and she would have perished. But it was her actions. They lined up with her faith. And so there's there's a lot for us to, to see in that, but we'll come back to it in our time of discussion. Um, another piece of Israel's history that we read about in the book of Joshua was about Jericho. And you remember how the walls of Jericho, they came falling down after they, the, they marched around um, the city for seven days. And then the priests blow the shofars um, and the people shout. But an interesting side note for you to take, a look, to take note of is that Jericho is actually the oldest city in the entire world. And it dates back to 8000 B.C., and it's said to contain the oldest building in the world, which has been excavated. And it's a round tower with a spiral staircase inside. I just think it's so fascinating, you know, the, the way that so many thousands of years ago, they were still able to create such incredible buildings and structures with such limited tools. You know, it really is, uh, had to be the Lord just giving them wisdom beyond uh, their situation. So Jericho, it was the first city that the Israelites were told to attack. However, before the battle, what we see is that Joshua had an unusual experience as he approached the city. He was met by a man who was armed with a sword. Joshua suspected that this man might be an enemy, so he asked him whether he was a friend or a foe. And then he was surprised by the answer he received, which was simply just no, no, neither. This man, he wasn't involved with earthly troops. He was involved with heavenly troops. You know, he was basically asking Joshua whose side he was on. So he had come face to face. Joshua had come face to face with the captain of the Lord's army, which many, including me, believe could have been a pre-incarnate visitation by Jesus. And so this experience, it also made clear to Joshua that he wasn't fighting the battles alone, and that he was not the true commander of Israel. That's another important thing for us to see here, and that he was simply a servant of God and the people. And so that's one of the significant things that really does stand out in this encounter that he had. Before Moses had died, he had given clear instructions concerning the renewal of the covenant, you know, the covenant that um, Moses and God had God had made at Mount Sinai with the people, the marriage ceremony with Israel. You know, he was saying, thou shalt not. And they were saying, we, we won't. Basically, we'll do what you say. So he was presenting them with expectations and they were agreeing to those expectations, the instructions of the law. And so before Moses died, he had given, again, instructions to Joshua that he was supposed to make all of Israel 
rewrite them and put them on uncut plastered stones. And they were to divide Israel into two groups, one group standing on Mount Gerizim, shouting the blessings of the covenant, and the other standing on Mount Ebal, shouting the curses. And so these two hills, they form kind of a, a natural amphitheater. So each group could hear the other group, and then they would respond with amen to what was being called out. And I've got this photo up on the screen of the actual land so you can get a better you know, visual. It's not really far away. You can just see they're on two hills, and, and like it shows you in the picture, it's this amphitheater, so their voices are going to be propelled across to one another. Um, so it's just neat to, I think, to be able to see this, the actual location where this took place. But despite the fact that the people affirmed, they did affirm and renew the covenant, they were still fallible. And they immediately, we saw, as we've read already, um, that they made a big error in their dealings with the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites were a people living in the land of Canaan who realized that they were unlikely to be able to stand against Israel because they had heard how the God of Israel was defending them. So they decided instead they would just deceive them and go about it that way. And the Bible tells us that the men of Israel, they, they believed them. So they, they were fooled and they took them at face value. But here's the problem. They didn't ask or consult with God before making an oath with men. And it was because of this oath that they made that Israel was actually, the Bible says they were, they were unable now to expel the Gibeonite people from the land. And that was a problem because one of the reasons that God wanted them expelled from the land was because he didn't want Israel learning their ways, you know, and it's human nature that we become like those we hang around. You know, the Bible tells us bad company corrupts good character. And so he didn't want them being poisoned with the customs and the religions and all of the mess from the people. But now we see that there's a group of people that they created this situation themselves where they made an oath they shouldn't have made. They didn't ask the Lord. And now they can't even expel them from the land. So they're there with them to stay and stay they did. And so I'd like to mention a few key things that we learned or that we should have learned as we've gone through the book of Joshua. And first is that God works through human cooperation. God didn't fight by himself. We need to acknowledge that and see that in scripture. The Israelites had to go to the battlefield and face the enemies for themselves. Now we do see scripture tells us that God fights for you. You just need to be still, but they had to be in obedience. You got to be still, you know, you have to do what God says. God's not doing it by himself. He's given a command for, for those who, you know, he's instructed to follow the instructions. And when they do, he does his part. So that's what we see. The other thing to see is that without them, God wouldn't have done it. They had to go into the land and they had to take action. That's what we see in scripture. He said to go in and take it. God wasn't just handing it to them on a silver platter already cleaned out. He wanted them to do their part. God said that every bit of the land that they stood on, that he would give it to them, but they had to cooperate. And so second, in taking action and entering the land, the Israelites were instructed to not be afraid. And this was actually the command that was given to Joshua at the very beginning. The reason, I think, is because this had been the cause of the people's failure 
40 years before when they had refused to enter Canaan because they were scared. Remember, they thought the people were giants and there were too many of them and they came back with a false report. They were scared to go in and overtake you know, this, the inhabitants of the land at that time. And because of their disobedience, the Lord waited on 40 years for those, um, the older generation to die in the wilderness. So it starts though with Joshua being instructed, do not be afraid that the Lord will go with you, you know, not to be afraid. So it's important that we also acknowledge that when God's called us to do something and we're taking action, don't be afraid. And he tells us that in the New Testament as well. He tells us, don't fear what man can do to you. Fear, fear what God can do to you, who can throw your soul in hell. You know, we're not supposed to fear man or anything that can happen to our body. This is a temporary shelter. This is not our final resting place in this temporary house. We've got a heavenly home, and that's where we set our hope, our heart. You know, even Paul was saying, you know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't concerned about what could happen to him in the body. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. He was ready for that day. So we need to begin to realize and have that kind of faith grow within our hearts that we take heart and take courage in the Lord. And just as David did, that we strengthen ourselves and encourage ourselves in the, the Lord. And we do that by reading these promises of scripture and believing them. That's the faith that Abraham had. He believed what God said. And so we've got to believe what God says too. And so third, if they were to win every battle, their attitude had to be one of confidence and obedience. Their faith showed itself in action as they obeyed the Lord's command to march around Jericho seven times in silence. Can you imagine? You know, this was actually an army that had been fighting. They had been the fighting men of Israel. They've been, you know, uh, overtaking cities and towns by, you know, swords and weapons and fighting. And the Lord had been with them and helping them conquer. But now they're told that they just need to be silent and um, they're just going to march around and they're going to shout. And that's the battle plan. It's a pretty unorthodox battle plan. I'm sure that they probably just wanted to go right in, you know, because that's what they've been doing. But they had to be obedient and they had to do this God's way following his instructions, even if they didn't make sense to them in the natural. And I think that this is something we really need to get as well. It is so important and critical, vital to us in receiving the promises of the Lord that we obey, even if it doesn't make sense to us, that we follow the instructions of the Lord that he's given us in his word, even if everyone around us doesn't believe it's true. You know, if God's word has said it, that's the authenticating light. That's the final authority. We're going to stand on the promises of our God. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans 15 that everything in the past was written for our learning. And so at this point, I'd like to ask some of you to participate and, and read some of these scriptures. And I've got a few questions I'd like to ask us to ponder. And, you know, we'll have a time uh, when we come to the conclusion of reading some of these scriptures that I'll, I'll throw these questions out to you. And I want you to participate. You know, we do want to encourage everyone to be a part of the body and whatever the Lord might be speaking to you or thoughts that are in your heart, please feel free to unmute yourself and share at that time. But is there someone who would be willing to read 1 Corinthians up on the screen? I'll read. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 24. 
I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about your ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with <laughs> feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test. And so in this scripture that's up on the screen, I think there's a section here that's highlighted that's also important for us to acknowledge. The way it's said here in the New Living Translation, which is the version you're looking at, um, it says the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Well, in a, I believe it's the New King James Version. Does anybody have this version, New King James of 1 Corinthians 10, that particular scripture? Just curious because it says something around along the lines of um, the, it was idolatry of the people that they got up to eat and drink and play. So, which is celebrating with feasting and drinking and indulging in pagan revelry. And I found that quite fascinating that we, what we're seeing is a description of what God is calling idolatry in the Bible. And that how, you know, this is something we all do. We get up to eat and drink and play, but it's not just, you know, it's not telling us that those things independent of themselves are bad, eating, drinking, or playing. It's when that's all we have our mind and our hearts set on that it becomes idolatry, you know, and that's what we are seeing. The scriptures are telling us that the people of Israel at that time were doing all they cared about was what they're going to eat, hanging out and partying, drinking, having a good time. That's all they cared about. They had forgotten their God and they continued to forget their God. But this is important because this is telling us here, these things are written down to warn us that we would not crave the evil things as they did. And so could someone else continue on? We're still in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, the, these scriptures up on the screen. And don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. <clears throat> if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptation in your life are not different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. There's a lot here. You know, these scriptures are good for us to just truly unpack them and, and read through the unadulterated, unfiltered word of God. I just think it's quite interesting that he's telling us right here, don't grumble as some of them did. That means don't complain. God does not like complainers. And that he said that about the Israelites. He hated that they complained. You know, he had done so much for them, but they're constantly complaining. You know, and so we have to remember that too. 
God has done so much for us. We have no reason to complain. No matter what has come our way, we've got to hold our tongues, you know, and, and learn how to discipline ourselves. Paul said, I beat my body into submission to the word of God. So it is a discipline. There's spiritual disciplines that we have to take on as we're growing in Christ, that we begin to understand what he's telling us. And now we have a part to play. We have to respond to this. So I'm hearing him say, don't grumble as some of them did. So next time I grumble, I need to check myself, you know, and I need to ask the Holy Spirit to help me not to do that and to forgive me when I do do it. But we have to start putting these things into practice or they just become, you know what it becomes? It becomes where the Lord had said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, because he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say, you know? And so we really have to get to this place where we are intentional, not trying to perform, but we're just trying to be obedient. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. He still wants us to be obedient. He does. It's all through scripture, Old and New Testament. So we're going to continue on. We're still in First Corinthians, same um, portions of scripture. Can I, interject? Can I interject something? Oh, please. Right there where you were? Yes. Amen. So in addition to everything you said, one other thing that we need to understand when we're grumbling and complaining, in essence, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you. I really don't believe that you know what you're doing. How and why I can say that is he tells us in Romans 8 and 28 that all things are working together for our good. So if I find myself in a situation and I am grumbling and I'm complaining, then it is in essence, that's why God does not like it because we are saying, I don't trust you to know what good is. And, you know, Lord, um, uh, I, my confidence is wavering because, you know, if, if it was up to me, I would have done A, B, C, D. We don't really understand the essence of what it means when we're grumbling and complaining, but that's it. God, I know there's a better way instead of, I know that you are the Lord and you know what is best. You know what is right. You do all things well. And this is something you are working out or doing or allowing for my good. Thanks. That's all I wanted to interject. Amen. So could someone continue on reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on the screen? So my dear friends, free from the worship of idols, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifice at the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that the food offered to adults as, as some sufficient or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God, and I don't want you to participate with demons. 
You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of the demons. Two, you cannot eat the Lord's table at the table of demons. Two, what? Do we dare to rose the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Amen. Amen. And so again, there's so much. There's just so much here. You know, first we see he's saying clearly we have to be mindful that we cannot drink from the cup of the Lord's table and the cup of demons too. In our day, in layman's term, I think that would be saying you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't be one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You're in or you're out. You're just in or you're out. You're all in with Jesus or you're not. You, can, you don't get to live the life of sin that you were in and still think that you're safe and secure um, and going to receive the blessings of God and headed for salvation at the same time that you refuse to give up your life of sin and you're going to continue on that path, willfully doing it, knowing that um, you are covered by grace. Because we know that in Hebrews is very harsh scripture uh, that says that if you willfully sin, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It's a hard scripture. It is. It's a hard scripture. You know, and it says, how much worse punishment will he be counted worthy who trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And then it said, under Moses's law, you were put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more he who has done that to the son of God? Basically, it's saying he who has counted the blood that has sanctified you as a common thing. It's what the scriptures say. And so it's just saying we don't we can't have both. You know, Jesus said it as well when he said, you know, in a few different ways he said it, but he said, you can't serve both God and money. You're going to love one and hate the other. He wants our devotion. He wants our devotion. This is why he says that we are to die to ourselves daily. Die to ourselves. It's dying to our own desires because these desires that are natural within us are of the flesh, which is why Paul said that we wrestle with the flesh. You know, we're going to constantly be in this struggle, which is the reason he told us he had to beat his body into submission. Because although he was the one who wrote, you know, a third of the New Testament and was uh, obviously so anointed by the Lord and used by him, he said, um, I do not think that I've obtained it yet. He says, pray that I may be counted worthy, you know, to still enter in. He was, he's saying we have to finish the race. We have to finish. We have to go all the way. We're in this process of sanctification. Jesus said that if we don't abide in him, you know, we'll be broken off and thrown into the fire. Abiding in him, if he has told us he is the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, isn't that how we would abide in him? to be in his word, because he said to you, these words that I speak to you, they're not merely just words. They are your life. Well, the reason that they're our life is because we have to allow them, we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow them do our part, submit to his word so that it can do a sanctifying work in us and renew our minds because our natural mind is prone to wander. It's prone to leave the God we love. 
So we have to set our minds and our hearts on an intentional you know, path to, to stay in this place, to keep ourselves surrounded with like-minded believers, to keep you know, um, the fellowship and to abide in his word. More, first and foremost, he just wants to be with us. That's it. And he'll teach us by his spirit. And that's what we're doing here. So praise the Lord. And so I want to also highlight Romans 15. And then I have a question for us all. Could someone please read? It's Romans chapter 15. It's verse four and then eight through 13. And they're on the screen. Is there someone who'd like to read? I can. Um, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures gave us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. So New Testament scriptures that are so good, reminding us again that the Old Testament is very relevant, that all scripture is inspired by God, we've, we've read, you know, but it's important to teach us of these things. You know, there's a scripture as well that says to look for the ancient paths, stand at the crossroads and look, look for the ancient paths and go in that way. There is a way, the Bible tells us, that seems right unto man, but in the end is death. If we want to know the right way, the righteous way, the way that's narrow, we've got to stay on the path of these scriptures. And so these scriptures, though, do give us the hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. But this particular New Testament scripture, I think, is another key one that you might want to highlight in your Bible because it says Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He's saying again, he's reiterating it. I'm going to keep my promises to them. I'm keeping them. I came for them. I, I promised an inheritance to Israel. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I came, you know, for the Jews for this reason. And then he adds in the Gentiles, praise the Lord. You know, he came also so the Gentiles might give God glory for his mercies to them. He has been so merciful to graft this in. And so we're at the end of the scripture, another important highlight, I think, is we're, we are told here as well, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Well, rejoice with his people. His people are the Jews. They're the Israelites. They're the seed of Abraham, those that, um, you know, are the descendants of Abraham, but also the spiritual seed. But we're to rejoice with them. We're to be one new man in Christ, Jews and Gentiles together. You know, and as we um, transition one day into our heavenly home, the Bible tells us there's no Jew or Gentile there at all. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But until that happened, we have a responsibility as Gentiles. One, the Bible we're going to see as we unpack more, tells us to comfort the Jews, tells us to um, help them financially because we have a spiritual debt to them because it says salvation has come to us from the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. We wouldn't even have our Bible. It's Jewish uh, disciples that wrote this down for us. You know, he's the king of the Jews and he's coming back as a Jew. 
and to still be king of the Jews. And we get grafted into that, which is why the Bible tells us not all Israel is of Israel. And so I want to bring us back into the mindset of Joshua. And as we've, as we've come into some of the New Testament scriptures and, and see you know, how the Lord um, has woven in the discussions of Rahab and Joshua and in different places we see in the Bible, I'd like to hear what is on your heart as you think through what you read, you know, and, and how the book of Joshua you, is used in the New Testament and how we can apply what we learn from it today. Is there anyone who'd like to, to share what's on your heart? Um, I believe at the beginning of Joshua, it's, it's giving us a picture of what we hear in the New Testament of obedience um, and how you said Paul like wrote third of, you know, of everything in the New Testament um, but it is about obedience, and, and I, I know I reference it today myself a million times in a week about, you know, not looking to the left or to the right or to, you know, making for sure that you're you're listening to the word and staying, you know, focused on what he's called you to do. And, um, and then if you do that, the glory of God's going to pour through you. You're going to do what it's saying here that Jesus has done for us is that, you know, we become a, you know, a, a vessel of glory. And I believe that's, that's, you know, when we line up with his heart, we're going to pour out glory. And, um, and I, I just love that it, I love Joshua <laughs> um, because he was so obedient to a fault. And, um, and I think that's probably his greatest message in the new Testament to everyone at that time. Amen. Amen. And it's just incredible that Joshua and Rahab, you know, are examples in the New Testament of faith and part of what the Bible says is the great cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by. It's so good. I think that it is so wonderful that God could take someone who didn't come, and I'm going to put it in my words, who did not come necessarily for the, from the best side of the tracks but ended up in the very genealogy of Jesus Christ. So to me, God is saying that it's not where you came from, it's how, where you're going in him. And to understand that, again, when we align ourselves with him and put him first and foremost, he can turn that whole situation around. Rahab heard about them before they ever entered in her door. She had heard about them. And she even confirms to the confirms to the two witnesses that came that all of them have heard and that their heart grew cold. I mean, they waxed cold when they knew because they knew the God of Israel was going to give them that land. In fact, it was just a matter of time. But she also was wise enough to know in that, what do I need to do to show my faith and my trust, not in those two men who showed up at our doorstep, but the God of Israel, the God that was like no other God. And I believe that the New Testament is showing us that it is the same way. We have adversities. She did. Joshua went through some things, but in spite of that, they had full confidence and trust 
in themselves, in, in God and not in themselves. It shows us that when God says, be not afraid, be not dismayed, be strong and courageous for I am with you, then that's exactly what he means. And then the other point that you made was they had to participate in order to receive it. If she had simply said, I know what your God is going to do, but I'm done. No, she participated with the spies, followed the exact instructions that they gave her, and therefore she ended up with God's results. That's the point. Joshua did everything that God instructed him personally and also what Moses said. And the end was he ended up with God-sized results. The New Testament is showing us that if we do like, we will end up with the same kind of results. And that is the results of God. Amen. Yes. The first and foremost, in, in starting from Genesis to where we are in Joshua, God's given me new eyes and ears to see and to hear what our spiritual family experienced in him. And, you know, in this day and age, if you want to find out our, our heritage or you know, our lineage, or you can spit in a, you can order a packet and spit in a, in a test tube and send it off. And then you say, okay, you know, from Ireland, you know, from Africa, from China, whatever, whatever, that's fine. And then natural, but spiritually, God has had me on this ascent to go, these are my spiritual brothers and sisters. This is my spiritual father. And I will remember, I will never forget. I will remember what they have done and what our God did to them, through them, accomplished in them. And it gives me a, a, a panoramic screen to go, I have this example I have this spiritual brother, I have this spiritual sister to go look at what they have done and look at what I can glean from that. And in doing that, I take a, a step back and I look at the word and I go, oh, my Lord, the word, God, Jesus, the word, then come the blessings. And from the word of the blessings comes the glory and the glory is the manifest presence of presence of the word. So I'm on this, this quest now to become this firebrand that we saw from Moses in the burning bush, take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground, but also it's repeated in Joshua. Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And that time, it's the captain of the host. It's the, the warrior of warriors. It's Jesus himself, I do believe. And so his presence goes with us. Yes, he's omnipresent. Yes, his presence is inside of us, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But there are times when his manifest presence in the Bible and also in our lives is undeniable. And his presence is his glory. And that glory equates to fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And his presence goes with me. And that presence sometimes is like this kind of glory. We're walking along. We're walking along. We're in a problem. We're in a crisis. We're in a situation. We don't know what's going on. But all of a sudden, his, his presence sh shows up and the, the Red Sea parts, or, or he gives us this, this supernatural spiritual strength and courage that we cannot have, that we do not have, to do that which he wants to do through us. So to be able to partner with the God of the universe, Yahweh, Jehovah God, Most High God, is truly a privilege and an honor. And even if I'm wearing shoes, spiritually, I just say, Lord, I'm taking off my shoes. This is just too holy. 
I just can't, I can't stand it. I can't take it. And, you know, but at the same time, I'm asking for more. I ask, I seek, I knock. And this study has begun a new way of looking at the Bible for me because I see what my spiritual ancestors and family has done and and what I can do. And I see what God's done through them and how God partnered with them, how he also partners with me. And it's just, it's just blowing my mind. So to become that firebrand for God that I want to be, to evangelize, um, to, to minister to other people, to encourage, to exhort, um, it, it's just blowing my mind. So it's just wonderful. Amen. And it's a call that we all have. You know, it was the Great Commission that we are to go out and make disciples, you know, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. It's right out of Jesus's mouth. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else? Yes, I see Quincy, your hands up. Yeah, I, I just wanted to share that um, um, it just blows me away that, you know, that she says to the to the to the spies that, you know, verse 10, um, chapter two, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we know that that was like, 40 years ago so you know just to see that and they were shook they were they were um they were really afraid uh so you know to to read this just to know that god will um you know it's encouraging to us that god it doesn't matter how how long ago it was but you know it's encouragement to us that god is calling us to just stand stand in him, stand on his word, stand on, even when, you know, uh, situations arise and, and, you know, you know, we, if we be honest, sometimes we do feel a little like, well, Lord, are you going to, you're going to get us out of this one? But, um, just to know that he's, he's, he's right there with us, even when we don't even feel it, but, um, but we do thank God for his presence. So I was just, you know, um, yeah, I just always looked at that that scripture and just, you know, like, wow, that was 40 years ago. And she's talking about Egypt and drying up the Red Sea. So, yeah, well, that was that's really good. I don't think I picked up on that. So I appreciate you pointing that out, you know, just recognizing that that had been a long time for those, you know, for them and that it was still something that was resonating very real in their hearts. And the Lord had brought that up, that fear, you know, continued in those generations, even though it had been a bit distant at that point. You're right. Yeah. Amen. Another important truth that we see illustrated in the book of Joshua is that Christians are not just saved from something. We're saved to something. And the children of Israel, you know, they were supposed to take possession of the promised land and enter into what the Lord said to enter into rest, enter into their rest. And so it's all too possible, you know, that we might actually come out of Egypt and Egypt to us symbolizes coming out of the world, out of a sinful lifestyle, but still be in the wilderness, you know, like the Israelites were, you know, to stop living the lifestyle of a non-believer, but to not enjoy the glory of the Christian life. Because we are given promises that will help us enter into rest. And many of us, associate the promised land, you know, with heaven, but the promised land is not heaven. It's holiness. You know, the, the apostle Paul 
I'm going to put some scriptures on the screen for us to see this because this is important. But the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews was writing on Joshua's conquering of the land. And he mentions that the Israelites had never entered the rest of the Lord under Joshua, despite entering Canaan. You know, he goes on to say that there still remains a rest for the people of God. And this rest means, you know, rest from battle. And the promised land is reached when we enjoy what God has for us. So whenever we overcome temptation, we have a little foretaste of the rest that God has promised. But I want to put up some scriptures to help us really unpack this for just a second. And I want to encourage whomever might want to read to feel free to do that. Let me turn it back on. Hebrews 4, 1 to 5. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this race has been announced to us just as it was to them. It did them no good because they, they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his race. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this race has been ready since he made the war. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it, where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hortensia. Let me get uh, someone else to continue reading the following verses, verses 6 to 11. God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Amen. Amen. So can someone else continue on with verses 12 to 15? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sh sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us all firmly to what we believe. This, this high priest of ours understands our weakness for the face 
for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen. Amen. So this is just the word of God straight through. You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 um, through um, 15. And, you know, it gives us all of this in context. There's some of those scriptures you might be familiar with, but maybe not these ones on entering the rest. I think it is something we should ponder here that we're seeing Paul has written to us, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. We should ask ourselves this, ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean, Lord? You know, and, and how do I enter into your rest? Because clearly we see they did not, because it says they didn't share in the faith of those who listened to God. You know, it's important. You know, the Bible also tells us, be careful how you hear, because if you don't listen well, it says then even what little bit you have will be taken away from you. It's important that we listen well. So what does listening well mean? Well, it means that we're not listening with an ear for what we want the Bible to say. We're listening with an open ear and heart for the, to the Lord to hear what he is saying not what we think he's supposed to say because we already have a predisposition about what we think it means. We're really being open to hear the Lord and to ask him to teach us, to be, to be you know, operating in faith because the faith is believing what God has said. And again, this is what we said. They did not share the faith of those who listened to God. So it did them no good even though they had heard that the rest was available to them. And then we see in this next scripture on the screen that today it's available to us and that rest is there for us to enter, but they did not because they disobeyed God. So again, we're seeing how important obedience is to the Lord. You know that we are obedient because it tells us at the end of this scripture in verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. We're supposed to be making some effort here to enter. But if we disobey God, it says, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so, you know, there's some things that are truly like difficult to know in scriptures. They really are. Um, that's why the Bible says that some people are on milk and some people are on meat. But the Holy Spirit, there's no baby Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us understanding regardless of where we are. He'll give us an application for these questions that we want to ask him that we see in the word. But we do need to be answering them and not just skimming right over these kind of topics. So that brings us to a question. How should a Christian apply the concept of the promised land or entering the rest of God? And I'd just like to hear from any of you that might have some thoughts um, on this. Yeah, I kind of um, believe that, that entering the rest for right now you know, um, Old Testament, be holy as I am holy, over and over and over, he get, he said in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And then, um, you know, the rest that we have is the ability to come boldly to his throne of grace, to be holy, 
we serve a holy God, a holy, sinless God, and he's calling us to be holy as he is holy. How? How do we do that? To be able to confess, to be able to repent, to be able to die to self, to be able to, to fear the Lord um, with, and work at our salvation with fear and trembling, to engage the Holy Spirit. So many of us, again, you know, God is omnipresent. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, but we have not employed him. He's unemployed in our lives. We have put him on the side. We, we you know, handle the word. We handle the sword. We, we may know our Heavenly Father, maybe not, but it starts with employing and engaging the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us the revelation of how to be holy and, and to walk holy in prayer and in abiding and fasting, all the spiritual disciplines and reading and, and obeying the word and with great humility. But also when you come up out of your prayer room, out of your prayer closet, and you walk out into the world, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when the Holy Spirit has got to be our GPS. He's got to be engaged. We, we've got to, you know, not only give him permission, but be desperate for him in everything. I mean, our, our breath depends on him. Every tear that we ha have depends on him. Every outcome in, in our day depends on him. And he is the spirit of truth. He is our paraclete, our helper, the promise of the father. He is the counselor. And so we just, if we can, you know, ascend and go vertical before we go horizontal and then stay there and live in the spirit, in, in the Holy Spirit and in the spiritual realm, you know, most of the time of our day, but we also live in the natural, give him, submit everything to him, relinquish all to him and let him live big and large through us so that that light of Christ can shine through in a dark world. And when we miss it, yes, we miss it. Yes, we do. Yes, we fall, but we get back up. We don't stay down. We get back up. We stand, we take territory back and, and it's his working through us. And to God be all the glory. You know, I've got a friend that all she says is to God be the glory, to God be the glory. Every time I talk to her, she says it about 18 times. So now it's in my brain and, it, and it's in my heart and it's part of my, my deepest desire. Yes, Lord God, you get the glory, but use me just like Joshua. God is looking for someone to work through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many of us walk around thinking I'm, I'm just not good enough. I'm not right. I didn't come from the right side of town. I'm not in the wealth. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not pretty. Wah, wah, wah. Complain, murmur, 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 murmur. No, if we'll let him, God will use all of us. And we've got his DNA. We're hardwired to be holy as he is holy and for him to work through and to do signs, wonders, miracles, and for us to walk in visions and dreams so that we can accomplish what he wants us to accomplish during this time. Amen. Amen. It comes to this, and it is with the understanding. When we look at the book of Joshua and look through the Old Testament, even now, current day Israel, they're not in and have received possession of the land that God promised them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, is the land, and was it available? Was it theirs to have? Absolutely. And he gave them some instructions in which they were to utilize to obtain it. Well, it's the same way. We are 
kingdom and the kingdom of God is ours. Amen. And it is up to us because we have been given the Holy Spirit to assess it. You made a comment. You said the promised land is not heaven. Amen. Well, the other great thing is that we don't have to wait to get to heaven before we can access the kingdom of God. It is available to us now, but it is a matter of how much do you want it? Amen. And we like them because they got a taste of the land, but most of them never the allocated land that God had given them, they never took possession of it. They didn't. They didn't. And it is the same way with us because we're not desperate, as Jackie said, for the Holy Spirit, allowing him to fully exercise himself as God in every area of our lives. That we don't say, oh, well, you know, I ran into problems, so now I'll consult God. But from morning, noon, and night, in that relationship, in that walk, in that seeking, even knowing that the kingdom, I am a representative. So the things of the kingdom are mine to possess by and through the Holy Spirit. When we say, well, I don't understand this. I don't, you have the teacher that's in you. Do you take advantage of the teacher? When we read scriptures, because most have been taught something that doesn't quite line up. When you run into that not lining up, do you take do you take the advantage of the availability of the Holy Spirit and seek Him and say, "Teach me." Something is not lining up, and I know that there's no error in God ever. So the only error can be in me. So. Are you willing to unlearn so that you can learn? Are we willing to possess what God has given us so that we can enter into his rest? Stop striving and fighting against God. Come into agreement with God and acknowledge you are God. So that in doing so, the Holy Spirit is not grieved. We are not quenching him. And he is able to lead us because he still speaks. He still responds and he still wants to lead us on that path of righteousness, holiness, so that we can enter in to the rest of God. The Bible says that it was two parts to the promise, the promised land and the rest. Do you know that if we're not entering into the rest, we're still under the curse and not the blessing. How bad do you want the blessing? Because it's two parts, promised land and rest. So if we have what we consider the promised land, but no rest, we are indeed under still a curse and we have not received the fullness of the blessing. And the only one that can help us to be able to do it and to receive it is the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do we realize that our citizenship is in heaven and you don't have to, you know, uh, get the benefits. And I'm talking about of God with you only when you die, we can have that now. And the rest that God wants to give us is that no matter what's going on in the world, we are still in his perfect rest and not moved. 
I'm not moved by today's news. I'm not moved by CNN. I'm not moved by BBC. I'm not moved because I've entered into his rest and I get my I get my reports up close and personal from the Holy Spirit every morning, noon, and night. That's what the rest is. And that's where he wants us to go. We don't have to be shaken. I'm not shaken. But God said everything that could be shaken, the last shake, everything to include the heavens, he will. But you and I should not be shaken. Why? Because we've entered into his rest and we are under and filled with the power. It's not enough to be filled. Look at, um, look at Luke chapter four. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. But isn't it amazing? The Bible says, but when he came out of the wilderness, he was, he was in the power. It is the power that gives us the ability to enter into the rest, not be moved, not be shaken, and to continue to rejoice and declare he is the Lord. He is the Lord our God. He is good. He is mighty. He knows exactly what he's doing. God, I know you're fighting that battle so I can be still. The Bible says be still and know that he's God. That's rest. Be still and know that he is God. I don't have to fight my battles for me. I'm not trying to figure out who's telling the truth because I already know there's only one that can tell me the truth and his name is God. It is the Holy Spirit. That's the voice I want to hear. That's why it says, hear him, listen to him. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. How do we do that? We do that because we think because we've gotten portions of the scripture instead of the full counsel of God. I know what the truth is when God is telling you through your conscience and everything else, mm -mm, something is lacking. I'm trying to get you the truth so you can get into my rest and receive the fullness of the blessing I have for you. Amen. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that word through Pastor Celia. Praise the Lord. Amen. Anyone else? I just wanted to um, say one thing that Pastor had talked about. She's talking, she made a couple of references about being in alignment with the Holy Spirit and, and thinking about that alignment. When you think about something natural, you think about a back being out of alignment, your back being out, or a car being out of alignment. The car will still run, you know, if your back's out of alignment, you can probably still move, but it hurts. And a car will not drive as smoothly if it's out of alignment. And so as we compare ourselves, our bodies, our souls, our, you know, our will, our mind, our, our emotions, everything that constitutes us as a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, if we are out of alignment with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, then we're going to still move, but it's going to hurt worse. We're going to still be able to get from, one, from point A to point B, but it's not going to be as smooth and as easy and as holy. So you know, being under the alignment of the Lordship of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father, Lordship is very important. Um, you know, we, we know Jesus as Savior, as healer, as deliverer, as shepherd, but do we know him as Lord? Amen. Do we take a knee to him? That means that everything takes a knee. Sickness, problems, politics, prodigal children, addiction we can go on and on and on 
But when we're under the alignment of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, fully engaged with the Holy Spirit, glorifying the Father, then everything we go through, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It becomes so easy because we're engaged. We're never alone, spiritually speaking. We have the presence of God the Father. We have the presence of Jesus Christ. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, spiritually speaking. We're never alone. But do we engage the fullness of the Trinity? Starting with the Holy Spirit, moving to Jesus and his word, glorifying the Father. And if we can take that mindset, then he is engaged. He is the source. He's the center. And he's the standard of everything that goes on in our lives. And I worked it both ways. And I can tell you, the second way is, is a lot easier and holy and miraculous and beautiful. And that way, God is glorified. Amen. 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 Tina and Ryan, I see your hand. Hi, can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Okay. I'm Ryan, not Tina, by the way. <laughs> Hi, <Ryan. laughs> Tina's sitting here right here beside me. Um, so I actually have a question. Uh, I think I know the answer to it, uh, but I'm going back to Joshua chapter 5 um, and verse 13 is where it starts. If I could, can I just read chapter 13, 14, and 15? Sure. Okay, so I'm reading out a new King King James Version, by the way. So 13 says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face and the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So my question is, and I think well, who he's seeing is Jesus. Am I right or wrong in that? No, I, I would agree with you. Not every commentary agrees on that. You know, some people think that it could be an angel since it doesn't specifically say Jesus and Jesus had not yet come on right. the scene specifically as, as the way we would know him in the flesh. But um, but we know that he in the beginning was the word and the word has always been. And he was part of this from, you know, he was with Israel through the entire journey of the Old Testament. And we see the foreshadows of him time and time again. One of the reasons that it's um, fairly well um, accepted that this is likely Jesus is the worship. Because in other times when, you know, people had bowed down to even worship an angel, the angel told them to get up, you know, right. and um, same thing with, you know, other disciples to get up. I mean, we're just, uh, you know, a servant like you are. So this worship is allowed. And it was actually encouraged because the commander actually suggested um, to take off the sandals and said the place is holy because of his presence, which right. leads us to believe that this was this was likely Jesus. Jesus, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, it caught, it caught my eye because we we're talking about command and commander and stuff last week. Um, so that caught my eye, and I thought, eh, that's more likely Jesus. <laughs> uh, but I just want to get clarification on that. So Amen. thank you, appreciate it. Amen. There's one last point I'll try to make kind of uh, quickly. I try to honor our time at nine o'clock here, but um, I want to just put this out in um, as well for us to consider. But many people today uh, misunderstand and even object that God's people, Israel, that they took a land from 
you know, a, a people that had inhabited it before them. Some people really have a problem with that and don't see that that was just or fair. Um, but God, what we need to realize in this, and as we're reading the scriptures and beginning to understand by the revelation from the Holy Spirit, is that God took that land from them as punishment for their sins. And the same thing we're shown will eventually happen to all those who live today as the Canaanites did, who live in the same manner in our world today. In, in that time, the Canaanites were you know, sexually immoral. They were wicked people. You know? And so uh, basically there's a parallel for those who refuse to turn to God that this is going to repeat itself. But their defeat, I want to point out that their defeat and the destruction of those kingdoms, it was divine judgment executed on a wicked people. And I want to show you a scripture to make that point clear that I'm not just making this up, but the people, you know, of Canaan, like I said, they were a cruel society. And so the Lord had given them a very long time to repent. And Israel actually waited for centuries to receive her inheritance. And we're going to see this right here on scripture in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. It tells us, that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, you know, but finally, you know, Yahweh's patience was exhausted. Yahweh referring to God as one of his other names, but the perspective of Joshua as a book, it focuses our attention on Israel gaining possession of the promised land, but her gain was actually the Canaanites loss. And this too is the reality of things that we're seeing here. You know, salvation and judgment, heaven and hell, they lie very close to one another in the outworking of human life. And many people question God's wrath um, when reading the Old Testament, but we need to realize that he's already shown us through scripture that he is a just judge. And when we have these questions, when we've come to these kind of things through scripture, sometimes we don't have an answer. But the truth is, just like we're doing here, going back to Genesis, the Bible gives us an answer. Sometimes it's just hidden in scripture in plain sight. It's hidden in other places that will unlock for us the understanding. It'll unlock the meaning. So here now we see this is why, you know, God um, allowed that land to be invaded by Israel. In Genesis 15, he says, after four generations, your descendants will return here. Well, that was Joshua's generation. To this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. So just like Pastor Sylvia um, shared a week or so ago about God's wrath and in Revelation, how it talks about that God is putting, pressing his wrath into a wine press, that he's stuffing it in there. And then eventually he's going to judge. He's going to judge the world. So when he comes back, he's not coming as the lamb. He's coming as a lion. The Bible says he's coming as a man of war and he's going to pour out his wrath on the earth, but it won't be unjust. It won't be unfair because he is every bit of who he has said to us that he is. He is righteous and he is just and he is right in all of his ways. He's pure. He's holy, you know, but he, he isn't unfair. You know, he's given people time and he's given us his word. He, you know, he says that we'll be without excuse mm -hmm. because we're going to be judged according to the words I have spoken is what Jesus mm -hmm. said. I mean, if you're going to be judged according to the words that he spoke, shouldn't we know them? Amen. And so my uh, final question here, and I know we only have a minute or 
So, so it might only be a person, one or two people that can comment, but are the scriptures helping your perspective and understanding that God is true in all he does? And anybody who'd like to comment. So while they're waiting to comment, I just want to add on to the scripture that you just shared with us and to remind folks that in most uh, of your congregations and your churches or your fellowships, when you hear the scripture that says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, well, what do you think he's talking about? Well, you celebrate that. So we can't have two viewpoints here. And you're cheering and, and dancing, get your praise dance on when somebody prophesied that in your church. But then when you read the Old Testament, you say, mm -mm, Lord, this one, where do you think it's going to come from? Amen. The wealth of the of the uh, the wicked is laid up for the righteous, you know, so we must understand. And if you believe that is right and just then know that everything that he has ever done is right and just. They were wicked. They were turning, and literally, their children were being passed through the fire. Everything that God warned the Israelites about, it was because they were doing it. Amen. When you look at the laws, those laws came to establish the righteousness for the Israelites because that's what these other nations were doing. And when Krista started it off, she said this. She said they were to get rid of them. I mean, literally wipe them out. I, I know some of you might be a little upset with that, but that's true. Wipe them out so that their practices, what they were doing, their abomination, their evil wouldn't overtake them. Amen. Now, I know none of you are probably there now, but if you just go back to your days when you were in sin, it was peer pressure, that's what we called it, that got you there. That God was trying to keep them from the peer pressure of the nations around them. He is good and wise in everything that he does. So he was trying to eliminate the sin from within them so it would be to their advantage. And I'm going to use this word, not his, mine, a little easier for them to do the right thing and to stay holy because it wasn't in their face up close and personal. And Pastor Sylvia, that was that was one of the big things um, that actually after a while that got the Israelites pushed out of the land mm -hmm. because they because they took on the practices of the people that that was left in the land, like the people that they did not uh, uh, drive out. So it's the same for us today. You know, if we don't drive out all these things, if we keep, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, playing around with it we could easily be, we can slip back. So I think we should we should heed the example that's in the scriptures that we need to, whatever the Lord is saying to do, we need to do that and, 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 not, and not play with. Amen. You're absolutely right, Quincy. It is. It applies to us today. It is yeah. the same thing. You know, you cannot, you know, play with fire and not get burned. Now, you can have the consuming fire come on you and not destroy you like the burning bush. But that other fire, that strange fire, keep going out there playing with it. Mm -mm. It's not going to go well. You must come out from among them. And that's what God was saying. That's why he did. He's a just God. 
He loves all. But whatever that level is, they reached it. And once you reach that level, because he's given you, my words, a trillion times for you to get another opportunity. There's a song that says he's the God of another chance. After a trillion chances, he gets to the place where there is enough is enough. Amen. <laughs> and we must admit that we should be glad that he's God because we would already had enough of enough long before he did. <laughs> so how can we say he's unfair? Come on now, let's tell the truth. You know what? You got some people in your life. You already told them enough is enough. Amen. <laughs> that is so true, Pastor Sylvia. God is so merciful. His, his mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. It is incredible, though, the love that he has to be to wait you know, as, you know, consider it, you know, he's holy, he's so holy, and he has to watch this wickedness. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, it's boiling over. And that's what that's what the Bible says, it'll come to a point where it's just boiling over, he's so fed up. So we know we're headed in that direction. But uh, we also know that that day is going to be glorious for those who belong to him. You know, he says that we're going to be like sheep being, or I'm sorry, cows being let out of a stall, leaping for joy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, yes. So with, with that, um, can I ask Terrence, would you close us out in prayer? Amen. Amen. Let us pray, please. <clears throat> Most precious and ever living father, Lord, we are just grateful, Lord. We are just so grateful and full of joy for what you continue to do, proving yourself to be faithful in all things, Lord. Lord, you have shown us again that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly what we could ever imagine or think, Lord, to give us such amazing revelations about who you are. Because you have told us that the people who know their God will be strong and they will do great exploits. And Lord, I know that they will do those exploits in your name because we are here to know more about you, Lord. We are here to know more about your character, how you work through the nation that you rose up for yourself and how we can apply these things to our own life, Lord. So that in doing so, we will be prosperous and successful in every endeavor that you have called us to do, Lord. Father, we thank you because more and more we learn that we are not to seek our own way. Because our ways are futile. They lead to no real results in our lives. Even in the spiritual realm, they lead to no real results, Lord. But Father, we are reminded every time that when we place our faith, and our trust in you. Father God, you will always be true to your word, Lord. So help us, Father, as we continue to show up on Mondays, that we not leave the same, Father, but we leave transformed by the renewing of your mind through your word. Father Lord, we want to say thank you for a moment like this. We want to say thank you for everyone that was able to show up and contribute what you placed in them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that when we meet again, may many be willing to avail themselves to be used by you so that you can show yourself again to be faithful. As we have heard many people speak today about what you have spoken to them, may we hear a double portion next week when we come to share on your table, Father. You are our bread of life. And we understand today, Father, that all who partake from that bread are all in one family. So, Father, thank you for the family 
that you have put together for your glory. And we thank you for the facilitators that have been faithful in coming every Monday to ensure that we receive a blessing from you through your word. Help us, Father, to continue to exalt one another in the faith and to encourage one another so that when we show up, Lord, we will show up ready and willing with hearts opened and ready to receive a blessing from you. Lord, thank you. I pray that as we leave here today, Lord, may your spirit be upon us to guide us, to lead us, to protect us in all our ways and in all our activities so that, Father, we will learn to lift your name up and so that you will draw all men unto yourself. King of glory, heavenly Father, may your name be forever glorified. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you. All these we pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and our Savior. May all the saints say, Amen. 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 Shalom, everyone. We'll see you back next Monday. And in the meantime, don't forget, we've got the breadcrumb videos at touroftruth.com. So you can click on there every day and uh, have a video commentary to go with your daily reading. And then we will look forward to seeing you on Monday. Shalom. God bless you all. Bye. Bye-bye. God bless. God bless.